0: This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. We are so happy you are here with us today. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the magnificent Simon Belanger. Buddy, we got part two of our unveiling of our portfolio. So, we did, if you want to hear part one, that was two episodes ago. These are the Monday releases. Today, we are doing part two. So, we have another seven or eight, nine ish companies each to go through again today. We'll go back and forth, kind of same format, talk about what the business is and why we own it and what we track as an investor because stock prices. Can seem highly irrational based on the old analogy of Mr. Market, depending on any given day. Just look at the last two trading days as a perfect example. And this helps us find signal in a world of noise. Before that, is our buddy scumbag public enemy number one
1: scam bank mo- bankman fraud going to jail or what? Sure looks like it, unless something happens at the sentencing in uh, March of next year, but we'll talk about it, Dan and I, on the earnings and news, but, you know, a bit more detail, but definitely guilty on all seven charges, which was nice to see, and, I mean, long story short, as was basically sbf being sbf trying to bullshit his way out of it and problem is when you're in court and there's a judge can't really tiptoe your way around something and especially when there's a really good prosecutor asking you questions it's harder to you know try to you know give a non-answer or get a reporter that doesn't fully understand the subject to uh, try and just like you know throw a ward salad and get them to kind of agree with you. So it was kind of nice to see. I mean, it's too bad that there was no cameras there, but been staying on top of it, watching some YouTube reporters, putting content there, uh, listening to some podcasts with recaps too. So, Did you see the, happy. the courtroom sketch <laughs> of him? Why does he look yeah, like yeah. Chad with a chiseled <laughs> jawline?
0: Like I can tell you for a fact, he does not look like that. Well,
1: maybe he's leaned up in, uh, in jail. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he's been working True. out. Yeah. True. Maybe yeah. in jail, this guy's on an
0: absolute protein pony of a diet. Good for him. Dude, I'm on, do you know what 75 hard is? Do you know what that is?
1: No. Okay. I it's, not, no.
0: it's this challenge. Basically. It's like, no drinking, f- healthy eating, and two workouts per day. So I just finished one. I got number two later today. I'm doing it for 45 days because I don't want to do this over the Christmas holidays. And like a glass yeah. of wine over Christmas dinner is mandatory. I might get exiled from my family if I don't. <laughs> so I'm doing it for 45. But it, dude, it's, in, it's intense, but I, f- I feel pretty good.
1: The way I see it, the Christmas season holidays, it's like it's bulking season. And oh just yeah, bulking up, you know, and then you <laughs> lean down afterwards. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, what's what's wrong with a couple? Uh, I ate too much for dinner seven nights in a row over the holidays. All right, let's get into it. We got part two of unveiling our entire portfolios. Again, uh, quick plug: if you want to see our portfolios to the percentage, like to the weightings in screenshots we just posted one 2 days ago on the 1st of the month for joinTCI.com. that is the patreon to support the show at joinTCI.com. as well next week you i texted you and i was like we should do an episode we just did you know our portfolios we should do one on how we spend our money and what we really spend money on you know, where we're cheap where we're where we're frugal where we're, where we ball out and i figured it was good timing because I'm no longer in dirt and ramen. Like, dude, I-
1: <laughs> just be honest. We recently both made stupid purchases that were expensive. <laughs> so that's where it's coming from.
0: Hey, this podcast started from very humble beginnings. You know, when I left yeah. my full time job, it was dirt and ramen for literally two years of this podcast. So humble beginning. So coming out of that stage, we're going to talk about how we spend our money on the next Monday show.
1: Yeah. And I'll probably be also mentioning, and I think you'll probably do that a bit too, definitely in the last year with high inflation, where we've saved on things. And just kind of some tips too, I've found uh, things that people have told me that I've kind of applied that. So I think it, it could be useful, especially since it's financial literacy month on top of that, uh, November in Canada.
0: Is that right? November's financial oh, yeah. literacy month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm in charge of uh, organizing a bunch of sessions with my other job. So I'm well aware of what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting.
0: Okay. Well, (laughs) look at us. Look at us go. Financial Literacy Month. All right. I can kick us off here. I will stick, I'll start with intuitive surgical ticker ISRG. I was actually on a live podcast today and they asked me, you know, you guys track these KPIs give me an example. And this is the first one that came to mind for me. Just Funnily enough, ironically here, which is the DaVinci installed base. What does that mean? Well, DaVinci is the name of their robotic surgery system. And the installed base just means how many are out there at in hospitals currently fixing people's hips and knees. And this is really, really important because once that is in the hospital, it is generating high margin recurring revenue all day long. It's true, razor and blades. 88% of revenue is now recurring. Uh, a lot of operating margin kicking in, that that annual recurring revenue number continues to tick up because that installed base is so high and they can only really install so many per quarter. So the stock price, you know, logarithmically adjusted, follows the DaVinci installed base exactly. And so in my mind, this is the stock that moves the needle both on backwards looking and forwards looking.
1: No, that's a good one. And not to be confounded with Da Vinci Bikes, which was founded in Quebec in uh, oh. Saguenay in northern Quebec. So Is that she a could high see. level bike? Uh, yeah, they do uh, kind of wide ranging, but they're privately held company. So for those familiar with that, I'm sure there's a few people that like bikes. It's actually, I think it's still owned in Quebec. Why
0: do I, when I Google images Da Vinci bike, I get literally a wooden bike? What am I missing here? Oh, D E Vinci. That is a yeah. key difference. <laughs> I okay. want you I want you to Google <laughs> images, Da Vinci bikes with oh, with an a, okay, okay. And it okay. is a wooden bike. No. Oh, okay. these are these are nice. These are really nice. Yeah,
1: they're they can be I was anyways <laughs> I I got sidetracked here, but no, I think in terms of the razor and blade system, I think that's that's the basis of their, you know. Their business basically right they sell the system and then they get you hooked on the system and then you have those re- this reoccurring revenue happening afterwards that's right now for me i have a couple of funds coming up here so i, I bucket them into two categories i'll start with the first one and then you can probably talk about another stock for you and i'll talk about the second ones here so the first category is index CTFs that have primarily u.s focus now people will say oh i mean it sounds like one of them is global and it is but because the u.s has such a big weighting i kind of still view those as primarily u.s index funds so Two of those are actually related to my uh, defined contribution pension at work. Very similar options that you can find as ETF as well for people interested. Now, the first one, it's my biggest holding. It's All World Equity Index Fund. Again, there's no tickers or anything like that because it is an institutional grade fund. This one has equity investments, uh, like it's investing in equities around the world, but again, the typical name, so the big tech in the US, the bigger market caps, there at the top of the list. My second one here, again, with the pension, this one is specific to the US, the S&P 500 index, again, no ticker, but there's plenty of S&P 500 ETFs if people are interested. I wanted to have a little bit more exposure here specifically to the US because the all world is still all world. So that's how I divided things. I also have in my self-directed investment, the total U.S. stock market, I taught. Again, kind of the same philosophy. I do want more exposure to the U.S. in general, uh, more so than Canada and even more so than the the rest of the world generally. Although I do want some, some exposure outside of the U.S. And then the last one is VQT that I'm doing as a kind of experiment that I've shared on the podcast. So I assign $50 a month just to show people that you can invest even if you have small amounts of money. Uh, This one is an old world equity ETF. There is a decent amount allocated to Canadian stocks and a decent portion to emerging markets as well. Uh, But again, there's more exposure to the U.S. and the rest of the world. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it here. Um, It's all funds that have very low management expense ratios so the highest one is i believe veqt at 0.24 percent. so it's that or lower so very low fees allows me to get a lot of exposure a lot of diversification and again it's all equities here
0: do you have a i love this by the way you just have like a a nice basket of broad-based, low-cost index funds, kind of like the juggernaut in the portfolio. Do you have like a target? Is it like 30%? I think I was looking at your portfolio of like roughly a third that's indexed.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's about it. I mean, I'm definitely open to getting that even higher. Again, my, my biggest thing is I just don't want too many individual holdings to track up yeah. just because I've of- time constraint. Totally. And, you know, if I'm going to invest in individual companies, I want to be able to stay on top of that. So I don't think I would go lower than that, but definitely am open to going higher, especially if I don't necessarily have any investments I'm interested in adding to or starting new positions. No,
0: it's a great call. I mean, many people in this world would do uh, do themselves a great service by just owning a low cost, broad based index fund and just letting it ride. Adding to it every single month. All right, for me, up next is MasterCard. I'll couple it with Visa. It's the same exact investment thesis. They are a duopoly of the payment rails for credit cards. And really quickly, just a reminder folks who are have been listening to the show for a really long time, you know this, but it may be not if you're new to the show that Visa and MasterCard do not lend any money. If I get, uh, you know, you got a Visa or a MasterCard, what's your go-to? You got a couple, you got a, one of each? What's your like personal spending?
1: yeah so i have sorry i was about to blow my nose i asked yes. you at the worst time yeah, literally at like the worst possible time <laughs> you were about to sneeze yeah I and i that. also had muted my mic so i was kind of scrambling <laughs> but um i have well we have a mastercard for the business and then personally yeah i do have a visa and mastercard so i have like a personal mastercard for my own expenses and then for our shared expensive my wife and i we have a visa and those are issued by canadian banks Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. This is what I'm getting.
0: The banks who issue the card, whether it's a Visa or Mastercard, they are the ones that are responsible for lending money. They take on the credit risk, and they take most of the fee when those transactions happen because they are taking on the risk. If they don't get paid, well, that that's just m- money coming out of their pockets. But They catch, you know, the most of the unit economics there for taking on that credit risk. Visa and MasterCard are just agnostic in the back, taking around 12 basis points, 0.12%, just death by a thousand paper cuts for facilitating the network, having the network happen, having merchant banks and acquirer banks instantly settle. It is wonderful technology. It's very hard to displace because you have this massive network effect. And I track total transaction volume going on the Rails. Take rates seem pretty solid. Free cash flow margins are ungodly. You know, like <laughs> it's there, there there's only really two companies that have ever maintained these kind of free cash flow margins for long horizons like this. And they are Visa and MasterCard. I basically just benchmark new ideas off of three companies, off of two ideas. Is it better than constellation software or is it better than visa and mastercard let's and and i've had that hurdle rate for years and years now and it has been nothing but money for me so uh, i have i have no intention on changing that i think they're just two of the greatest businesses ever invented are visa and mastercard and i want to own some of those unit economics
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'll actually talk to them as well because I do own them as well. So total transaction volume is also something I keep track of. I do keep track of it, but I also like to compare that as well as revenues to the inflation rate, just because I definitely want both of these to be higher than the inflation rate. And it, it's not easy because obviously they are a global business, so inflation will vary from country to country. But, you know, especially, you know, the U.S. and some of the major countries that they, they have the most cards in, that's something that I want them to be above. And the other thing is, that I have here for joint TCI listeners is similar to you. I mean, just free cash flow per share. I mean, it's just almost like a straight line to the the right. Not quite, but since twenty fifteen and I'm obviously I could go back further and it would just uh you know keep increasing, but it went from about two two dollars five per share to over nine dollars, I believe, in the trailing twelve months. So just gives you an idea of how much free cash flow they actually it generate. It
0: took me traveling to pretty remote places in the world to recognize that this is not a growth story that's finished. And you know, you, you own lots of Bitcoin. I own a, a sliver of Bitcoin basically as chump insurance as I think really the only type of technology, like a decentralized technology that will potentially disrupted there's this fed now thing that has tried to come off
1: yeah but that's more like wholesale so it's more like in between banks and the fed so i think a lot of people are calling it a cbdc it's not it's not really a cbdc
0: i just have i'm bearish on government execution to disrupt the the hardest business to disrupt you know what i mean like i'm just i'm generally bearish on that so i i don't think that they're You know, my my de facto is that I don't think they're going to succeed, but I I could be wrong. And so, of course, there's risk with every business, but these are two companies that you and I have pretty much equal weighted for a long time. I guess the question is why not pick one? Why not equal weight? Look, both companies grow almost identical, they have very similar metrics. And if one has some great win in new jurisdictions or new geographies, I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to have them equal weighted and they win some big partnerships and one accelerates. I'm a, I'm a benefactor of that. But the de facto I think is that they will basically achieve identical returns uh, on a long horizon.
1: I could be wrong. And so that's why I equal weight them. (laughs) If I didn't think I was going to be wrong, then I would just pick one. Yeah, and they're both, like, I mean, they're both very good businesses. And when I mentioned CBDCs, because I didn't explain, just central bank digital currencies, so you were just kind of so used to acronyms, just making sure if there's some new listeners there. And for people who are looking to have a hybrid of a bank and a card company, then you may want to look into Amex. So American Express would be kind of a hybrid. Obviously, it's not used as much as Visa and MasterCard, but they kind of have two kind of Yeah. Two systems. So they either issue their own card with their own credit or they go through a bank and then similar to Visa and MasterCard. So that's why sometimes you'll see like, you know, I'm just going to Scotia Amex, but you'll also see an Amex Amex not tied to any bank. So that's that's the difference between Amex and Visa and MasterCard. Right. They do issue credit like a bank. And it's
0: not that I do think it's a slightly worse business model. But Amex is a great business and I would be happy to own Amex as well. I think like from a, a brand perspective, they're just one of the best businesses around and especially like the pricing power they can demand for some of the cards to just have like... The, oh, their you fees
1: know. are like, it's like $500 It's a complete year. luxury flex. Yeah. Uh,
0: they, yeah. they own that luxury market as well in terms of like, you want to have the most elite credit card, right? Like that's a really good business as well
1: and they offer like granted like they do offer good perks if you can afford that fee there's quite interesting perks but anyways we've talked a lot about the (laughs) the 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 rails here so i'll just mention quickly so there's another etf i do have Uh, this one is actively managed it is canadian equity by ccl with my pension it's actually a very low cost index fund so i was sorry not index fund but a fund even though it's actively managed again it's into institutional so there's no uh, ticker it's not listed this one as 0.36 percent total fees so quite low for actively managed and it's performed really well and the reason why I did get some exposure to that one is that I actually like the allocation better than what the TSX index would have and Brayden you'll like this but one of the top 10 which is not the same for the TSX index is actually Consolation Software. so that's one of the reason i actually chose that specific one it's a pretty small allocation with all things considered but i did want a little bit of kind of canadian broader market allocation even though it's actively managed yeah that's
0: really interesting because i'm looking at largest canadian companies by market cap rbc td shopify canadian natural resources enbridge cncp Thompson Reuters Bank of Montreal Brookfield okay so like <laughs> banks energy and shopify essentially Kushard which has been ripping by the way i don't know if you've noticed that yeah, uh, I've Sco- noticed. Yeah. scotia bank and then Constellation Software, and just just behind it, SunCore. So you're right; it is in it's in that number. Yeah, 13. I think it's the
1: sixth largest in that fund. So they've definitely allocated much it. more, yeah, than the the market cap would dictate if it's market cap weighted. So that that's the reason I have. No, it. I like yeah.
0: that, right? Because we've been pretty critical of just owning a TSX basket broadly market cap weighted because you're just like fifty percent banks, twenty five percent energy. Like four or five percent tech. Like if it's not for Shopify or Constellation, you basically have no exposure. You got like BlackBerry and open text. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, much yeah, it, no. dude. Uh yeah. Okay, I will move on here to Oh, what do I got here next? Where's my list? Master uh no, I just said that. Microsoft. <laughs> MasterCard, Microsoft. Microsoft is a fairly new position uh in the grand scheme of things over like if you look at like the last 10 years i think i first added to the position
1: oh maybe oh is it like this year or late last year yeah beginning of this year yeah, okay I'd have yeah. to look back. Maybe you, maybe yeah, I think late you last were year. like you trim Google a bit I and the kind of hedge it you put Microsoft in, right? If I remember correctly.
0: That's correct. Yes. Yes, you remember my, my moves better than me. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct. Yes, that's exactly right. And Microsoft for me, I'm tracking basically two things. It's it's operating cash flow per share, which has compound annual growth rate at sixteen point five percent, and the cloud business. So, the cloud business has compounded at almost thirty percent on a three year compound annual growth rate. Of course, you see some deceleration, but that's an you know over hundred billion dollar run rate business in itself. Look, when you look at Microsoft, what's not to like right? It is just the ultimate blue chip right now. It is utility to businesses it is become just a, a gigantic behemoth of a conglomerate. When you look at LinkedIn being one of the premier social networks, that thing is gushing cash. I don't know if you've seen their that segment lately, but it is gushing cash. They just bought Activision Blizzard for what? $69 billion. Nice. And it's just a like, you know, blip on the radar. It's just like, like, what yeah. scale are you operating at that is oh, a $70 billion acquisition is just like, yeah.
1: I think they'll do good things with Activision Blizzard, too. I think it was in a state where the company was, you can make a case that was mismanaged a bit. So, I think Microsoft, I think they have a history, to of listening to their customers much better than I think Activision Blizzard has, yeah.
0: Well, the bar is set pretty low there, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, what's not to
0: like? I mean, I, I track probably three or four things there, but mostly looking at the the cloud business. And then since it is a conglomerate, just kind of like an operating cash flow per share over time, they, you know, they're going to dish out lots of cash to shareholders over the next 10 years. That dividend is probably going to grow pretty nicely. It, you know, it, it's an easy stock to own, I would say. I mean, what's not to love about a utility for the business world uh I, I would say it is as blue chip or, or more as like an electric utility because i think that i look at them as a utility in terms of the cash flows with businesses
1: yeah no i think i, I was talking to to dan on uh, the latest release and we were talking about them and I said basically Microsoft, and I think I would put almost Apple there. Google, there's, I think you can make a case for Alphabet as well, but it's definitely Microsoft and Apple. I think for most people, whether they, you know, know a lot about investing or not, I think it's very much perceived as those like blue chip stocks. Even for fund manager, I mean, it's almost like IBM back in the day. They're much better business. Can't get fired buying IBM. Exactly. So I think um, those two are definitely in that category. But for me, I mean, obviously I sold those just because I allocated more to the index funds I talked about because they're so heavily weighted in those funds. I think Microsoft's like a six percent weighting on the S and P. Something like that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So people were asking me and they're like, oh, well, you're missing out on the upside. I'm like, yeah, maybe a little bit. But at the same time, I still, a lot of my returns will still be dictated by that magnificent seven or whatever it's called. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's the way I see it. Plus, it's less work on me to keep, stay on top of it. Like, I still have interest in checking the business out, but I'm not going to be digging as thoroughly, I would say. All we the are
0: time. hitting historical spreads between returns on large cap, like mega caps compared to the rest of the index. And the largest spread between the Russell 1000 and 2000 in terms of weighting. Like, dude, there's really like the market if you look outside of the largest 300 ish names, maybe even the like last 150 ish names globally is actually not expensive, but you miss out on what we classify as probably the greatest business on the planet. So it's, it's, it's easier. It, it's not just so easy to say, okay, well, I won't buy Microsoft then. Well, it's like, okay, well, for all those reasons that we just mentioned, then, you know, go for it, right? Like you might find some better deals elsewhere, but you're going to miss out on owning the utility of businesses.
1: No, exactly. So now I'll go on to my next one here. So I have my category of cash and cash equivalents. I'm going through all the most uh, boring stuff and then I'll I'll talk (laughs) about the actual businesses afterwards. But I think I've been pretty consistent on that. So uh, with my uh, my defined contribution pension, I have a, you know, I have a, not a big, but a a little allocation to just a money market fund that's in Canadian dollars because there's no U.S. options. I also have in my own portfolio allocation to Bill, ETF B-I-L. Uh, This one is in USD and as well for the Purpose U.S. Cash Fund ETF, which is PSU-U.TO, also in USD. So I'll be honest, I'm very happy to park some of my cash into these cash and cash equivalents, Especially in us dollars because i try to hedge as much as i can away from the canadian dollar because you know people will ask me sometimes like oh you don't you're like really bearish on canada and i am said oh it's not necessarily that i'm extremely bearish on canada it's more that you know my regular income comes from is in Canadian dollar. I'm reliant on the Canadian economy for a lot of stuff. So for my investments, I do try to hedge in US dollars, which is the world's reserve currency. US Treasury bonds are the base of our financial system, so the fiat system that we live in, it's US Treasury bonds. It's not a gold-backed system like it was prior to 1971, and you can make a case that was actually before that cuz the 1971 change by The Nixon administration was basically a formality because the peg to the U.S. dollar to gold was essentially broken. So the reason I, I just want to hedge against the Canadian dollar whenever I can because I want to diversify, and that's typically my philosophy. Is I don't want to be too concentrated in anything. And the difference between PSU and Bill, Bill is one to three months uh, Treasury bills backed directly by the uh, the U.S. government, whereas PSU are deposits in U.S. dollars at large Canadian banks. I would argue that that one's slightly riskier because at the end of the day, if the banks are insolvent, which I think it's a low risk, but if it ever happens, the Bank of Canada can't really bail them out if it's in US dollars because they cannot print that. They can only bail out Canadian dollars, but at the same time, it is more tax efficient for the TFSA. So it's a little bit of a trade-off, but that's the reasoning behind those. It's not a huge allocation, but I'm more than happy to have a smallish allocation to these cash and cash equivalents when they're yielding more than five percent in interest. Yeah, just like
0: me. I think I talked about it on the last episode. I I'm more conscious,
1: Con- conscious, conscious, conscious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I might. No, there's like conscious, says, and then yeah, there's yeah.
0: conscience. Not to be confused. Yeah. The good old English language,
1: maybe. Yeah. (laughs) There, let's keep it simple. Welcome
0: to the podcast, folks. I am more aware of and more deliberate about. I think that's the right word about making sure that that cash in my brokerage is just kind of like sitting there is being like, you know, I got four or five grand just sitting there. Like, put it to work. You know, like no no ETF buy, just put it on on the cash. To or whatever the it's like ten yeah. all competing for a few basis points basically, get them to work basically is like a little bit more deliberate about that. All right, this was a weird one because I own it today and I wrote on Joint TCI two days ago about Roper Technologies. I even put it as my you know desert island stock. You know, hold this for ten years, and I think you'll do good. I still strongly believe that. It is a 45, roughly $50 billion conglomerate of industrial and software companies. There are a buyer of these companies. And the acquisitions are typically in the multi-billion dollar uh, range, so much bigger than like a constellation, for instance. And these carve outs, they do carve outs, they do full out buys, like they basically like a giant private equity company. And Roper has been a fantastic performer across the board. Just unbelievable. And they've done a wonderful kind of transition to buying large vertical market software companies as well. And so I track like how much of the software business is now part of it. The software revenue uh, has compounded annual growth rate of over 20%, double digit organic growth as well. So just like really, really nice metrics. They'll pay up a lot more than a Constellation will than buying VMS. However, when I compare it to a Constellation, because it 10 years ago, they were very different businesses. Roper was buying a lot of like pumps, industrial stuff, like a lot of electronics that might go in like a manufacturing plant and the recurring rev stream off those. Like really good businesses, but, but different, more industrial, I'd say. And they've pivoted more to buying this kind of like VMS. Like verta 4 was a big one they did in 2021 for 5.4 billion, which is insurance software. And almost every metric, from valuation to growth historically, growth forward, to the management team, to capital allocation, I thought Constellation is superior in almost every facet. However, it's been nice to own the exposure of those larger larger carve-outs in the multi-billions. But if we observe the last 12 months of Constellation, they have been killing it with these larger deals. Going up to the regulators and stealing Empower and uh, Optimal Blue from the, the Ice and Black Knight acquisition, they bought those for pennies on the dollar, uh, you know, in the $900 million range for an acquisition. So the fact that they're flexing that muscle so effectively at egregiously high returns on invested capital, like 40 plus percent, Simon. I, I don't feel like there's an, as much of a need for me to diversify what I think is not as good of a business and not as good of a management team. Now, I wrote also in my joint TCI wrap. I haven't done anything yet, but I'm thinking about moving it all over to Constellation, which seems ridiculous given that it's already such a large position, but Roper's not a giant position. And I still think you do fantastic with Roper from here. It's not a knock on Roper. It's more of a wide diversify. It's kind of like a Moody's versus S&P type situation. I think S&P is a better business. And so I'm thinking about that that's what's going on. I'll, that's, I'll leave it at that for Roper.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I mean, just the fact that they're they're almost like a holding co, right? So it's uh, same thing for Constellation. So I don't yeah. think, I think it's a bit overblown for people that may kind of question the concentration when you kind of get to know the business and, you know, clearly you're not just owning one thing, you're owning you know, 900 i don't know yeah i was gonna say thousands but pretty close to it i think yeah. the
0: tracker's at like 912 at this point or something like that yeah,
1: yeah it's maybe maybe i'll i'll buy one share of on the a thousand relation yeah <laughs> yeah on the thousand mark so the last one here of my etfs believe it or not so i have one last i've had Boom. this one for quite a bit yeah so it's <laughs> the uh Invesco small cap ETF, uh, PSCT, management expense ratio, so total fee of uh, 0.29%. This one is pretty simple. I, something I, I've i actually, I think I started that, I got that position at the onsets of the pandemic, so it's been quite the, it's performed pretty well for me, and it just tracks a bunch, like it's an index of small cap companies, I believe it's the subset of the S&P 600, if I remember correctly, in the U.S. is like the small cap. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Something like is it that. it
0: 600? That sounds right, actually.
1: Yeah. I'm just going on memory here, but yeah, the logic behind it is yeah, I want some exposure S&P to
0: small cap 600 index. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's a subset of that index. So it's just essentially the technology of that, uh, that index. That's why the fees oh. are, are still quite good for a more niche ETF and its exposure to those smaller cap technology companies. And it's performed quite well. Obviously, you know, you don't have the upside of holding these companies for very long periods of time if they perform well because they eventually just get out of the index because they're too large but again when that happens the fund managers rebalance they can use these proceeds to uh rebalance the ETF with smaller smaller companies so perform well and uh, I don't intend to sell it anytime you know I keep track of it every now and then but that's the beauty of having you know an ETF is you it's more of a hands off approach yeah I like it is that
0: any more Individual fund allocation. Is that it?
1: Yeah, that's it for the funds. So now okay. I'll switch over the actual companies. Obviously, I talked about Visa, Mastercard, because you were talking about it. But I've got about four to go. Okay. Yet. All right. Perfect. Uh, me too.
0: All right. So let's. We'll. We'll get through these. For me, I just. I just hinted at it. S and P Global ticker SPGI, and we just talked about the S and P six hundred. Uh, the, these are things that they maintain. Uh, you know, the very infamous S and P five hundred. These are indices they maintain. It's actually a really nice business line item for them. For me, I look at free cash flow per, per share on a, you know, three year CAGR and, and looking forward as well, because this is a business that buys back lots of stock. It's a collection of dominant market positions in the financial world. When it comes to indices, when it comes to rating bonds, when it comes to market intelligence, which is uh, the other segment that I track that has caggered at almost 40% over the past three years, they bought IHS market. They have that, the capital IQ product, the the chart IQ product. They just have all of these gigantic dominant one, a one B type players in the financial world. And so s and X credit rating agency, I think is amazing business. S&P credit rating agency is the best business. And so I am really happy about owning this company. I think, you know, it's not going to blow, you know, it's not going to be a, you know, 50 bagger in your portfolio, but it, it, if you're talking about high quality, wide moat comp, like, Companies that can compound double digits for the next 10, 15 years. This is a really good name to think about. It's not cheap. It never It really is. And that's because it speaks to the quality of the moat of all of their subsidiaries that they have.
1: No. Yeah, nothing uh, to add to that one. So I'll go to my first company, I guess, aside from Visa, MasterCard, Home Depot. So this one, I have a few metrics. I'll explain why. So average ticket size which gives you an idea of like every time someone goes like what's the size of the transaction The amount of number of customer transaction, I think that's important. The operating margins, that's something I keep track of. And of course, free cash flow for per share, which will be a recurring theme here for me. Typically, that's something I take a look at very closely for most of the businesses I own. And the reason why I looked at these metrics, especially average ticket and customer transaction, is that Home Depot is very commodity dependent so if you think about you know people might remember if you built anything that required wood during the pandemic cost you an arm and a leg but again that was because the price of those that commodity went had a big run up so clearly that boosted sales for a company like home depot but not necessarily margins because they also had to pay more to buy that lumber and then they resell it of course at a higher price so i think sales can definitely be a bit misleading for a company like home depot so that's why i'm looking at these other metrics but you know i encourage anyone to have a look at their free cash flow per share and it's trends in the right direction obviously it's not going to be a a company that's going to be growing at a crazy pace or anything like that that's why i wasn't adding store counts or anything like that very mature business but as we see people especially in the u.s people not wanting to move because they have these super low 30-year mortgages and they're not portable meaning that you can't you know port your mortgage to a new home that you would buy well what do you do you renovate the home if you need more space or you want to update it and you know there's probably going to be two companies that will benefit the most from that in the u.s there's lowe's and home depot so that's kind of the the premise behind it
0: there are in my mind really only a few retailers that i look at and go this is an amazing company just the way it's run operationally, the brand, the management team, the capital allocation, there's just really a few names. Home Depot and Costco for sure come to mind as just like the two kind of leaders when it comes to retail. And it's nice because you can own both and they don't compete with each other.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they're kind of Amazon proof too, to some extent, because, you know, it's not easy. Like, obviously, there's items that overlap that are sold at Amazon and Walmart, whatever. But when you're looking for larger items, I think Amazon has probably come to the realization that it would just be too complicated. And, you know, it probably would be very difficult for them to compete with uh, Home Depot and Lowe's and they've it would require customers to be able decision. to go in the warehouses
0: and then that would be a pretty exactly. that would actually be some wild optionality for for Amazon if they kind of had yeah. the like Costco <laughs> warehouse model we could go in there and buy larger items in bulk and
1: and, yeah and imagine the, the the investment required for that that would be like in the hundreds of billions of dollars of Oh brother they've already yeah. spent all that and yeah. then some <laughs> Yeah exactly <laughs>
0: What's a what's a couple hundred billion between friends Yeah Bezos will have to sell his yacht that's stuck in the Mediterranean that would be but it's okay. you will be form. able
1: to uh keep his blue origin and thank the uh, Amazon right. workers for
0: it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot about oh, that. Man. That's a good yeah. that's a good yeah. memory. That was a blunder, wasn't it? I'm going to go over to Shopify, which ha- has been just like an unbelievably weird stock to own lately in terms of price action. A little bit too much volatility for my, for my blood. Like the stock is up uh what is it?
1: I was up like 20% 20% yesterday
0: 32% since 3 days ago like (laughs) what is going on and so yes, they reported some some really nice results and nice earnings. And it's nice to step back and, and just look at Sh- at Shopify from you know the perspective of really maintaining their mesh mission of getting more merchants on the platform selling things and kind of unlocking the internet in terms of GDP and, and entrepreneurs kind of working together to to build online businesses. And Shopify's done an exceptional job. It was so expensive. Looking back, like the stock in 2021 was a full meme mode at 150 billion in market cap, 160. What, what did it even hit? It was like 180, was it?
1: For market cap? Yeah. It like was 180 it was billion crazy. at one point. Yeah.
0: I'd have to look on Stratosphere here. I can actually pull this up right here. You can look up the chart.
1: Yeah, right now it's at 110, 109, but uh, that's Canadian. Dollars and yeah, I got like crazy run up at some point. Okay, yeah.
0: so I'm just pulling. So the New York Stock Exchange listing on November of 2021 peaked at 212 billion, which was 268 billion Canadian on the TSX.
1: Sounds a bit high, though. It sounds man. high, right? Are Are you sure they're not kind of converting already? In I have or? to look up that number.
0: 200 billion in market yeah. cap. <laughs> It's I mean I bought it after it sold off like 50%, which is about what it's trading at now and then a little bit more basically at the begin at the lows of of 2022 and that's more than doubled since then. It's it's starting to feel like rich again, which sounds ridiculous when I bought shares basically at this price like a year ago. Rates were materially different. Growth stocks were materially different, and so I, I do think the the stock's looking a little pricey here again. What is it forward? Forward sixty eight times forward free next year's free cash flow. So not a cheap company, but growth is reaccelerating. This is what the market is 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 is, har- is about. If you look at monthly recurring revenue MRR, that has seen a nice acceleration last quarter and the quarter before cuz they raised prices. So they you are seeing some uh, of their flexing of the pricing power on the subscription solutions revenue. So, you know, it's a good store to own. I I don't know if I'm, it's a, it's a forever business for me to own. Like I I don't really know. I think that there's kind of a lot of competition here for them to to fight against when it comes to helping people sell online. And the fact that they offloaded the logistics business, I think it was a great move in the short term. I just don't know. Like I was kind of betting on the logistics solutions really widening their moat. And for me at this point, I think like a Mercado Libre has a much wider moat because they own a lot of that infrastructure in terms of uh, delivery. So TBD, some 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 decisions yeah. to be made about this stock right now, but gross merchandise value is uh, volume is still exploding at you know twenty five percent compound annual growth rate for a sustained period of time here. So the business is doing well. It's it's you know starting to look at gushing some cash soon and, and seeing that operating leverage getting a little pricey. And I just I don't I'm not fully convinced on the moat right now. So T B D.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I share most of your thoughts here. I do on Shopify as well. And to touch on the Mercado Libre, obviously I think Shopify is in an interesting position because they have clients globally, right? But Mercado yeah. Libre is very focused in Latin America. It's just Latin America. And exactly. And Shopify, especially if they want to do the logistics, let's say North America, there's a lot of competition in that space. There is. So I think and it's not an easy business either. So, I mean, I can see why they would kind of get rid of that. But they kept a stake, right, when they sold it off. I think they kept a stake in the other company, a small stake, if I remember correctly.
0: I have to look back at that trend. That was earlier this year, if I recall yeah, correctly. Yeah, I, I
1: think they kept, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think they kept like a minority stake in it. Yeah. But TBD let us know on Twitter. If, um, yeah, yeah. You just look at the CapEx spend from Amazon and you think like,
0: that's a business really thinking long term about winning this market. Yeah. I don't have really refined thoughts right now. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that.
1: That's all good. So now my next one here is Axon. So those not familiar with Axon and it's a name, it's not a big position. So sometimes I even forget I own it, but it performs really well. Dude, it's been (laughs) crushing. Yeah. I know it's, uh, I've had it for like several years now and maybe I should have just made a larger position. I would be uh, more on top of it. But the Axon, for those not familiar, they used to be named Taser. So the good old taser that people are all familiar with, but they have these body cams as well. So they have like the hardware business, but really what their mode is, is their cloud storage platform. So all the various webcams uh, that, you know, various police corps have and also the military, while the footage actually goes into the clouds to secure cloud and the various police forces have a subscription with axon enterprises so it's a company that's actually very sticky there's like some competitors but every time i try to find competitors it's not like they're few and far between and they don't seem to be making a whole lot of headway so for me, it's a SaaS revenue. So software as a service revenue, how that's increasing. And again, free cash flow per share, because one of the biggest issues with Axon is share count as grown at a decent clip so since 2014 it's actually grown at a four percent annual pace so it's not great you definitely would want that to be a bit lower but at the very least if i keep track of free cash flow per share it does take to into account the share count so if that keeps increasing at least i know is that okay shares may be increasing but at the very least they're generating more cash flow than the increase in shares and that i can live with it's
0: kind of insane how I'm just looking I'm just looking at on Stratosphere on the KPI so the the service's gross profit so the service's business so like that's not selling up the hardware that's the software has cagger company growth rate of 43% since September 2019 quarter through here to the latest quarter annual recurring revenue has exploded from 142 million to almost 570 million, uh, a quarter. So like over 2 billion run rate now on revenue on recurring revenue and dude, it's really sticky because it's government and it's attached to hardware. There's no, there's no stickier software than software that's attached to sticky hardware. (laughs) Like, like look at Apple, for example.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's actually like it's interesting looking at them because, I mean, they basically went from nothing for that recurring revenue. So that services revenue, I mean, it was it didn't really start like being a significant part of the business until I'd argue until like 2018 is pretty much when it's really started picking up so for those who are watching right now they'd be able to see it like it was negligible before that and now it's uh i would say i think it's the majority or close to at least 50 50 right now of their whole revenues that are coming from these services so it's been a big shift and i think it's been a great move by management to actually make that shift but it, it hasn't been easy because it took some time for it to actually you know really be good for the business and show some results.
0: The first time the software and sensors revenue passed, the hardware revenue was December of 2021. Uh, so Q4. Yeah, that's it. Of 2021. So I, I look at this company, by the way, one of your best stock picks. I, I look at this company and I think, look at that optionality that was kind of unlocked in the business late in its life. Cause it's been around for a long time. kind of unlocked in like 2017, that's what happens when you have a founder who runs your public company. When you have a founder led public company, the amount of like businesses inside, inside of business that has like kind of entrepreneurial spirit, like look at AWS. If you were to buy the stock in to- 2005, you would have had no idea that you'd have a hundred billion dollar run rate company invented yeah. inside of the business, right? So incredible. All right, moving on to, I got two more. All yeah, right, I've got so one more. So one more? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I got three more. So I'm going to actually, I lied. So I got, I'm going to do two really quick here. TFI International is the trucking company. It's been rough for trucking companies. I like the price of TFI International right now. Operating cash flow. Well, not for,
1: just trucking, logistics Logistics. In yeah.
0: uh, yes. It's been rough for these names, not for the business. And they're actually saying that next year they're loading up for another big acquisition. Uh, the business has been, you know, executing well. Of course, there's some some headwinds, but they uh, have grown operating cash flow per share at over 16 percent compound annual growth rate over the last three years. If you look at the last five years, they have been extremely acquisitive and buying stuff on the cheap. The trade desk, which I'll rap- rapid fire here, the trade desk is a software as a service company that helps advertisers buy media on the internet on a real time auction. It is awesome technology. Really, really cool. And it helps. Uh, it's on that riding that wave of digital ad spend for these companies. So if you want one platform to manage all your ad spend across all the social channels and on like uh, over the top TV. So say you like watch Roku or uh, you have like Hulu with ads to get ads in there. That's all done on real time auctioning of uh, for buyers with uh, the trade desk. Really cool company and gross billing. So, you know, Revenue that they're booking is grown 35% compound annual growth rate and customers in double digits as well. So uh, sticky software for the advertising business and uh, really cool tech that's hard to compete with. Like there are some other players that are doing this kind of real time digital media buying, but none that have the scale and network like the Trade Desk.
1: Yeah exactly and the trade desk is basically like people may not be familiar with that like they do programmatic ads i think it's all programmatic right programmatic that that's yeah. right yeah and it's all demand side so demand, demand side, side is come yep. yeah is company actually you know looking to buy up some ads because they have their or ad space because they have you know ads they want to do and then you have the opposite which is the supply side uh, of the platform. And there are companies that's you know kind of specialized. So it's kind of the opposite, if you'd like, of uh, the trade desk. So there's two sides of how programmatic ads you yeah, have gotten to know that a bit better because uh, we're looking into it for the podcast as well. So it's the same kind of thing. It's available for podcasts. And I believe the trade desk also, um, I'm pretty sure I saw their name for the demand side platform as well, too, for there.
0: Yeah, they're basically in all types of digital ad buying. So podcasts, over the top TV, social channels, display ads on the internet, like they're plugged in. And since it's real time, like, and the the data points are just like constantly being bitted, like millions of data points are being looked at a second, you know, you're as a customer, you know, you're getting kind of the best deal, which is also like a lot of value add for their customers.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Now I'll finish with my last name here. A name that I might actually be uh, looking to add because it's been crushed recently. So that's Granite reed, So this is a industrial REIT. So industrial REITs, uh, typically, I mean, uh, they can be used for large scale kind of business operations. So for example, like those Amazon warehouses, if they're renting space, I uh, would be rented from uh, industrial reed And the bullish case for industrial REITs in general is that you know especially right now the economy is not going well so that's maybe a bit more bearish but the fact that we're more and more looking at kind of uh uh, no longer unipolar world, less globalization, a lot more reshoring or friendshoring. So that means a lot of production is coming back home or in country that are neighboring us. And I think this could be bullish for companies like that. So industrial read. So that's why it's actually quite interesting. So in terms of the KPIs that I look at, uh, one of the big ones and the biggest risk with granite is the magna exposure. So the uh, car part manufacturer, I think that's the best way to put it for magna so you know they still have a lot of exposure to magna so the two things i look at is magna as a percentage of annualized revenue and magna as a percentage of gross leasable area i believe they're in the 20 25 range uh, for them right now it's been going down over the years and definitely something i would like to see going down probably in the kind of 10 percent or less at some point uh, just because you don't want to be overly reliant to one tenant that's just the, uh, you know, there's just a risk to have, like, one tenant just being so large. The other things, as with all REITs, I keep a close eye on funds from operation, adjusted funds from operation, and then the payout ratio relating to FFO and AFFO.
0: I am very impressed they have diversified even that far away from Magna, because oh, this yeah, it was be a massive. spinoff of Magna. Frank Storonic, the original founder and you know original founding CEO, when he built, by the way, exceptional story. Uh, you know, fled Nazi Poland, came here from his garage, did deliveries to GM for the you know the uh, the sun visors you flip down on your car. Oh yeah, that was his first product, and he would make them sleep on the floor of his, of his shop and then drive them to, to Detroit. He, so he was the manufacturer and the logistics and the CEO and the, like, he was just doing all of himself, like amazing rags to riches story. And so they, they took all the real estate and made it a REIT like underneath all of the the manufacturing plants and started granite. So at one point, it was technically 100% of the portfolio. So uh, interesting company there. All right, I will finish this off here with WSP Global, the Canadian engineering giant that no one except for this podcast ever talks about. And Simon, let me just pull this up here. WSP, let me just pull it up here. They are now a twenty three billion dollar CAD stock how long have we doing this podcast for uh it was a you know mid cap name when we when we first started it and we and I first bought it so it's been a great business to own. They are buying global civil engineering firms. so think of the built environment so they are service businesses for you know th- think of think of the Brookfield infrastructure business. You know, there has to be consultants and engineering firms that are signing off on everything, doing all the surveys from the environmental assessments to the actual civil construction. It all has to be done by a firm like WSP. And they are now the leaders in that. And they keep buying this very fragmented world of engineering firms. I have many friends that work there since I went to, to school for this stuff. I'm just trying to pull up my notes here. I'm all over with my tabs here. book the backlog has grown twenty one percent compounded, and they have four x the number of acquisitions they did in the last three years than the previous three years. so dude it's super profitable service business <laughs> it's like a censure, right like as it's, it's just, yeah it's a censure, but for civil engineering.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of grown to know the name just through you, but I'm uh, definitely one I keep an eye on. But uh, yeah, that was a, a fun two-parter episode. They always end up running much longer than we think.
0: Exhale, exhale, brother. Yeah,
1: exactly. We wanted originally to make one episode, and then we ended up with probably could have made three, but
0: <laughs> could have made three. Thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate you. We are here Mondays and Thursdays, as you might notice. You got uh, Dan Kent from Stocktrades.ca. Hey, go go check out Stocktrades.ca if you've been listening to the podcast uh, with Dan. There, it's the service he runs for Canadian do-it-yourself investors. We got to give, we got to get a little discount code for him to to promo here on the show as well. So, thanks for listening. We are here Mondays and Thursdays, as per usual. The show goes on. Hope you like this two-parter series. Make sure you turn in next Monday. I'll be here uh, here with Simone, and we're going to talk about what we actually spend our money on. Because, yeah, I mean, we talk about individual equities and you know how we invest our money, but that's not always the whole picture. So we'll go deep and dive into our... Uh, you know, it's a taboo thing to talk about money, but we're here to break down barriers, baby. So come check that out. That is next Monday.
1: See you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Brayden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.